0: Tell somebody about what Easter means to you. Tell somebody your salvation story, because man, that's the best thing ever. Like we, we love worshiping Jesus. And on this day, we get to just really talk about what Jesus means to all of us and our salvation story. And that's what we're gonna do today. Is We're just gonna celebrate for just a few moments and just talk about some of the salvation stories at RLC and some of the things that God is doing in our church. And to hope that that means that if he did it for one, he can do it for all of us. And that's one of the things I love about the text we're going to read today. We're going to be in John chapter 20, and we're going to talk about this idea of, of the text of, of resu- the resurrection moment. And there's three different people that all come to Jesus with different things going on in their life, but they all find life through him. And so I want to read this text with you, and then we're going to just celebrate what God is doing in our church and what God may be trying to do in your life today. But here's the text. If you want to read it in your Bible, if you want to look on my screen, God's word says in John chapter 20, that early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. But instead of looking, she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. And so Peter and the other disciples started out immediately out for the tomb. And they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside, and he noticed the linen wrappings lying there, but... While the cloth that was uh, covered Jesus' head, it had been folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they hadn't understood the scripture that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. So what had been happening up to that moment is Jesus had been arrested, Jesus had been crucified, and Jesus had been laid in that tomb. But then early Sunday morning, someone went and they found that the body of Jesus was gone. He had rose again. And so all three of these people encounter the news of the resurrection, But what's amazing is all three of them had different experiences when they encountered the news that Jesus wasn't dead, that Jesus is alive. And that's one of the things I love about Jesus so much is that no matter what we bring with us, no matter what what we encounter on our way to the empty tomb, Jesus is still able to, to encounter all of us With the good news that because he's alive, anything is possible. And so if you're taking notes in your message notes, if you want to write this down, if you don't catch anything else I say today, the good news is that Jesus didn't come to make bad things good. Jesus came to bring the dead to life. Jesus didn't come just to make us feel better about ourselves. He didn't come just to play around and just to mess around. He didn't come to make bad things good. Jesus came to do the impossible things. Jesus came to do the things we can't do for ourselves. He came to bring the dead to life. And so it doesn't matter what we bring to the empty tomb. What matters is what God can do. So it just don't matter. So will don't you look at your neighbor and say, it don't matter. It don't matter. Let's try it again. Look, look at somebody else, somebody you're willing to talk to and say, it don't matter. Now, it's just taking entirely too long. Okay, here's the deal. I want to teach you how to say it with, with Alabama talk, okay? I know some of y'all are from all over the place, but in Alabama, we have this ability to say an entire sentence in one word. Have you ever noticed that before? You ever talked to anybody from, from, from the deep South? We can take one whole sentence and make it one word. And so, so it's like this. Like, you might say, it doesn't matter. We say, it don't matter. It takes skill. You're going to have to practice it a little bit. So look at your neighbor and say, it don't matter. That was good. That was good. Look at somebody else and say, it don't matter. Yeah, we're going to work on it. We're going to work on it. I want to get that so in your head that today when there's a red light, someone's going to say, hey, that's a red light. It'll matter <laughs> because it's just, it'll matter. And the reality is, is it, it'll matter. It doesn't matter what you bring to that empty tomb. What matters is what Jesus can do with it. And what I love about that is all of us come to that empty tomb with different things and different stuff that's going on in our life. But the celebration we have today is that Jesus is able to do something about every single thing that we bring with us. And that's what I want to talk about real quickly is the three different people that that came to that empty tomb, what their story can teach us about what God can do in all of us. And I wonder which one of these that you would identify with what God has done in your life. The first one would be Peter, and that is if we can just come to Jesus if we can just have the courage to take the step and come to that empty tomb even if dead from a thousand private battles we can experience life even if dead from a thousand private battles we can experience life because it don't matter it don't matter Not to say that it's not big and not that it's not important, but it pales in comparison to the ability that Jesus has to take the dead and bring it to life. This is what happened to Peter. The Bible said that on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone that had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran immediately to Simon. She immediately ran to Simon and to the other disciple. And then Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running but the other disciple outran Peter and rescued, uh, not rescued, and reached the tomb first. It says, reached the tomb first. Now, here's the thing. We know that this gospel was inspired by the Holy Spirit and written by the other guy. Okay, his name is actually John. We're going to talk about him in a minute. And of course, it's possible. You ever been around a bunch of friends? It's entirely possible that even though inspired by the Holy Spirit, this was his opportunity to make sure everybody knew, I'm in a little bit better shape than Peter. okay. We both started, but I did get there first. Just wanna make sure we get that out of the way. That's possible. All of my friends would have made sure that the world knew they were faster than me. It's possible. But is it also possible that even though they started off and they were both running and they're both wanting to see, maybe there were some things weighing Peter down that we can't see? Because the reality is there's one thing that all of us in here have in common, and that is every single person in this room has a private battle that nobody else knows about. Everybody in here has a private battle that nobody else knows about, and we're really, really hoping that Jesus could do something about that. It's that thing that if you're not careful, will keep you up at night. It's that thing that if you're not careful, will steal your joy like nothing else. And here's the thing I've also learned, is that for many of us, it's not one private battle, it's thousands thousand of them. It's so many different little things that wanna all come together to finally make it to the point that we feel so weighed down that we can't possibly think that Jesus could do something with our life. And I wonder if the reason why that, that Peter was outran by John was because there was so many things that nobody else could see but was weighing him down on his way to the cross. As a matter of fact, we know that Peter was the leader. Peter brings me so much hope because he's the guy who would always speak first and then think. He makes me feel better about myself because I'm like, okay, well, I'm not the only one that does that. And he was just always leading the way. Well, imagine what happens after Jesus dies on the cross. Peter, what are we going to do? Peter, do you have a plan? Surely you have a plan. You are you are Jesus' right-hand man. The reality though is he had no answers. He didn't know what to do. So that's weighing on him as he's trying to figure out what are we going to do about this? What about the fact that he denied Jesus? The Bible said that at their last supper, that Jesus said, Peter, you need to know that before the morning, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Did you know that, G- that Peter did everything but call Jesus a liar? He said, Jesus, I would never deny you. I would rather go and die with you, but I am never going to deny you. The book of Luke tells us that when the rooster crowed and he had denied Jesus the third time, somehow know another, they were close enough that Jesus turned and he found Peter in the crowd. Can you imagine that look? Now, I don't think Jesus was looking with judgment. I think maybe if nothing, he was smiling at him. Hey, it's okay, Peter, I told you. But you imagine? I would rather die than deny you. And then you deny him three times, and then Jesus is looking right at you. The Bible said that when he realized what he had done, he went and he wept bitterly. He just completely is carrying the weight of a thousand private battles that at that moment maybe nobody else knew about. it. And then here's the question what if Jesus is alive? What will Jesus say? Will he tell me to leave? But the amazing thing about Peter is that even though he carried all of his weights, he still came to Jesus. He still came to that empty. Tomb. And then the Bible says this. It says that Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He says, I might as well go on in. And he noticed the linen wrappings lying there. And while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. And that was the moment that he believed. Because then John came in and saw the same thing. And until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that said that Jesus must rise from the dead. Now, that's lost on us in our Western context. But have you ever been to a concert and you're by yourself and you got to go to the bathroom? <laughs> You ever, you ever, you know, what, what is the universal symbol that somebody's sitting here, please don't take my seat. You take your jacket or you take something and you put it over the seat, right? And then you pray and you hope that when you get back, someone's not sitting in your seat and holding your jacket at the same time. That's what you're hoping for, right? Well, this is not new to us that back during that time frame, especially in the Jewish culture, they would have feasts, have big parties that would last three to seven days. And so over the course of seven days, You're gonna have to get up and leave for a little while. So they needed a universal symbol that I'll be back. So what they would do is if you needed to go for a little while, you would take the napkin that you were using and you would fold it in a certain way and then you would set it down to let them know I had to go somewhere, but I'm coming back as soon as I can. That's what Peter saw when he looked at this was that everything else was there, but the piece that had Jesus' face on it been folded to where Jesus was winking at them and saying, guys, I told you, I told you I was gonna go. But I also told you I was coming back. And now, here I am. And it was when they saw that that they realized, wow, it was true. Everything was true. Jesus kept telling us on the way to Jerusalem that he was going to be arrested, that he was going to be crucified, and he was going to rise again. We didn't realize what it meant. But when we saw that, we see now what Jesus was saying. And his eyes were open to realize that if you're in here and you feel dead from a thousand private battles, if you can just come to Jesus... You can find life and Jesus wants to prove himself to you. Jesus wants to prove that all the promises in his word to be with you and to go before you and to forgive you are all true. And the promise that you have is that one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we see him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ can become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. That's the promise for you and the promise for me. Peter believed this so much and it changed his life so much that 40 days later on the day of Pentecost, he stood up in front of thousands of people, no longer afraid, but declared the goodness of God. He ended up going to Rome and preaching to everybody there. That's where the gospel of Mark comes from. It's it's a collection of sermons from, from Peter. And then as his life is coming to an end, it's Peter that says, we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are God's special treasure that he's put us on display for the world to see. That when he saw that if I can just push past all of my private battles, there's no telling what God can do And that was his salvation story And it's amazing to know That if we can just come to Jesus It's amazing what he can do And I don't know if that's your salvation story But there's someone in our church That that is such their story that I didn't want to tell it to you I wanted to show it to you And so I want us to celebrate with somebody who's going to tell us what it is To go from death to life And his name is Tommy
1: Hey guys, my name is Tommy. Um, I'll tell you guys a little bit, uh, a story about myself. When I was 14, my dad passed away. That really impacted my life, really changed my life. I didn't know that time, but uh, my mom was, was really young. And it's uh, six of us, siblings. I have five siblings. So she had a hard time dealing with with it, and she turned into to alcohol. Me and her had a, a bad relationship that time because uh, I didn't understand. Fast forward, I came to America. I met Mar when we when we first had a, our our first child. She went through 22 hours uh, labor, and it, it reminds me of my mom. After that, I I called her, say sorry. We meant things, and she ended up coming to the Bowling Green. I noticed uh, something a little bit different about her. She's, she's trying to push us to go to church. And we, we did it for a while. We, we didn't really go to church. We we do, like, kind of a Bible study at home. We did it for six months, I think, and she ended up passing away. The same year my, my other brother passed away, uh, another life-changing moment for me and my family couple years later I have a cousin that went to Texas and got saved we all heard about it and we, we doubted like no that's someone that we doubt that he he can preach and talk about the Bible he asked his pastor Pastor Andrew if they can come to Kentucky to share the gospel with us he ended up passing away during the, the during the Corbin Pastor Andrew wants to honor that so he came he came to us it was a beautiful night just listen to music and we pray and the, the pastor prayed for us and we that's the night that me and my family got saved All of us the night we got saved was uh was on her birthday so i i knew right away that it's a seed that she planted a long time ago the music was playing on the phone it was not that loud we i remember we're, we're all just crying me my all my sibling my uncle just my cousins we're sitting there just crying we're not sad we're just crying but we're, we're full of joy we're laughing and crying and just talking it just feels different i remember that night i couldn't sleep the that pastor pastor andrew told us to go uh, church uh, church hunting that same week we were looking for a church and we we're talking about it i remember i used to cook for the Puga family. They invited me to church. So I remember there's a church by uh, Samurai. So we, we all my family came to RLC. I, I, we just knew knew right away this is uh, this is our church. In that we we hear the song uh, the song that we got saved on. They played it that day at church. Pastor Brandon was preaching something about uh, John 3:16. So right away we. We kind of know, I think this is it. I'm so thankful and grateful. Uh, even though I, I had a, a rough uh, past, I think without my past and all the things I struggled with in the past, I, I won't be who I am today. I'm so thankful. That night I, I, when I got said, all I can say is thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I'm so thankful I have I have my family with me. We're not perfect, but we right now we live in, in peace and joy. You know, Our family without... Uh, Getting saved and know Christ, or coming to church every Sunday, we will all fall apart and we'll be fighting and turn to alcohol. Very thankful for the RLC family. They support me and my family, and we're so thankful and grateful. Man, I don't know how to explain it. I can only say thank you and grateful, thank you God for saving me
0: and my family. Come on, can we celebrate that? That not amazing? Man, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And there he is right there, man. Thank you so much, Tommy, for sharing your story with us. Absolutely amazing. And man, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good, Jesus came to bring the dead to life. And no matter what you bring to the resurrection, no matter what you bring to that empty tomb, man, if you can step on in and just come to Jesus, Man, what's amazing is that even if you feel dead from a thousand private battles, you can experience life. And for so many of us, that's our story. The second one, though, is with Mary. She teaches us that if we can just come to Jesus, even if dead from a thousand broken experiences, we can experience life. Even if we feel dead from a thousand broken experiences, we can experience life. It doesn't matter what we bring. It'll matter. Look at your neighbor and say, it'll matter. Y'all getting better. Look at somebody else and say, it don't matter. One word, it don't matter. One more time, look at somebody else, it don't matter. There you go, there you go. The Bible says this about Mary. It says, early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the whom Jesus loved. And she said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put it. Now, when you first look at this, you're like, wait a minute. You immediately go to a negative place? Like, is she like the first ever recorded negative Nancy, you know, ever? You know, how many's ever been around a negative Nancy? They can they can rain on any parade. How many sitting beside a negative Nancy, right? No hands, but a lot of fingers doing this. I got you. Okay, it's fine. It's fine, right? But here's the thing though: is she being negative or is she just so tired of being hurt? Is she so tired? Of being broken, because here's the thing you need to know about Mary Magdalene she's actually one of the bravest people in the entire New Testament. Have you ever studied her life? She's one of the bravest people in the entire New Testament. Matter of fact, here's the thing here's her testimony. Her testimony is that when she came to Jesus, she had seven demons cast out of her. I mean, That's an amazing testimony, but it's also the testimony that's not going to get you invited to any barbecues. You know what I mean? As soon as you tell me, well, how did you find Jesus? He didn't cast out seven demons. That's wonderful. You know, back over here. But the thing is, though, is even though she had this testimony, she was a follower of Jesus. Even if nobody else maybe wanted to hang around her, I don't know, she still followed Jesus all the way. You know, the other thing is, is there was a time when everybody was hanging out, eating and all this stuff, that she came in and she anointed Jesus' feet with this very expensive perfume, washed his feet with her tears, dried it with her hair, just as an act of worship. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. And here's the thing, the other disciples criticized her. The other disciple said, why in the world would she waste this? She should sell this and give the money to the poor. It was Jesus that finally had to come to her rescue and say, leave her alone. She's worshiping me. But it didn't matter what anybody else said. Man, her pursuit of God had nothing to do with her neighbor. She's one of the bravest people in the entire New Testament. How about this? When all the other disciples except for John was running away, Mary Magdalene was one of the few people that was there at the foot of Jesus. The Bible tells us you had John, you had Mary, the mother of Jesus, and you had Mary Magdalene. When everybody else was running away, she was like, if I can't be on the cross with Jesus, I'm going to stand right beside him. I got you. I'm not going anywhere. You are my savior. I'm going to stay right here. Nobody else hardly did that. That's how brave this lady was. And then, guess what? While everybody else is doing everything else, who's going to the tomb that morning to anoint him one more time? Mary. And so we got to be so very careful to realize that, honestly, though, the truth is, is that many times the bravest people in the room are also the most broken Because there was a reason why they had to be brave. There was a reason why when everybody else turned and ran, why they had to feel the fear and to do it anyway. And many times it's the bravest people in the room that are also the most broken people because it was something that required that bravery. And they stood up and they did all the things, but it left them less than what they were. It left them broken. And I don't see Mary as somebody who's a negative Nancy. I see someone who has stood up over and over and over again. And maybe at this point she's like, I don't know if I can take another one. I don't know if I can do anything else. I don't know if I can get my hopes up again because they've been dashed so many times. And maybe you feel like that sometimes in here is that maybe, you're, maybe the thing that you're dealing with is not a thousand private battles, but maybe it's just a thousand broken promises. Maybe it's a thousand broken experiences. Maybe it's a, a thousand difficult moments that has led you to the entrance of the tomb. And you know, I'm so glad though that that's not where her story ends. The Bible says that as Peter and John were looking, the Bible said that Mary stood outside the tomb crying and then she wept and she stooped in to look, but she didn't even go in. I can't take one more time. I can't, I can't do this one more time. But what I love is that she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Now, pause for a moment. How messed up have you got to be to think that the king of kings is coming to pull some weeds? (laughs) That's how messed up she is. So she looks at him and says, sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. And then I love this. Jesus said one word to her, and that was Mary. He didn't just say, hey, what's up? Hey, you know better than that. Hey, don't you? No, instead, He knew exactly who she was, and he called her by name. Hey, brave girl. Hey, one who was there when nobody else was. I don't care about those experiences. I know who you are. I know you, and I'm calling you by name. When he said her name, she instantly knew who that was. And he talked to her, and he said, I want you to go, and I want you to tell the disciples everything that you've seen here. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord can I tell you that there's moments in our life when we have these different experiences that leave us broken, that leave us bruised, that leave us just wondering, God, I don't know if I can take any more. But if you can push past that, and if you can go into the tomb, if you can go and you can meet with Jesus, if you can just come to him, you know what he wants to do is he wants to call you by name. He wants to say, I know you, and I see you, and I don't define you by your worst mistakes or the things that's happened to you, but instead, I'm calling you who you are. And Jesus says to come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And here's the thing I love about Jesus is that he didn't come to make bad people good. He came to take the dead and bring them to life. And if you're in here and you would say that sometimes you feel dead from a thousand private battles, that Jesus wants you to experience life, but you got to come to him. Maybe you're in here and you feel like that you feel dead from a thousand broken experiences. Can I tell you? Jesus wants to bring you life if you'll come to him. And one of the greatest stories I've heard in a while about this is someone that I want to introduce you to right now. And I want you to better hear her story and celebrate with her. Her name is Angie. Hello, my name is Angenette
2: Stefano. I am married to Steven Stefano and we have six wonderful kids. I really wanna talk about how I had this whole planned out that God wanted me to talk about forgiveness. And now that I'm here, I feel like he wants me to talk about trust, trusting in him. I had a couple situations happen in my life that uh, he is really building me and giving me freedom from. In 2006, Uh, As part of a cruel joke, some friends of mine left me in a room with somebody who tried to molest me. Not handling that very well, from being so young, I took to drinking, took to partying. I took to pretty much anything that kept me busy, so I didn't have to sit in my feelings. Because of that, different group of friends, different party. Uh, I ended up being raped by somebody that I was very close to. And I think that even though that was a very hard experience for me to go to, the hardest part of that was a friend of mine who I thought would protect me and save me, who watched the whole situation happen. And it was at that point in my life that I chose not to trust anybody. I actually didn't tell anybody until the end of 2020, so 14 plus years after it happened what I didn't realize is how much that incident was affecting my entire life and how badly God wanted me free of that. And I felt like every time I would start going to church and the Holy Spirit would start working and I would run. And I was so afraid that God knew what had happened to me. There was all this shame and guilt around the situation that that God wouldn't love me, that God didn't want me. And in reality, he was just trying to heal me because he loved me more than any of those people that I was surrounding myself with. I spent the better part of six plus years, terrible friends, partying just around horrible people. And eventually God just started healing me. And now when I look back, it was probably God's love that was just trying to, like, invade all this brokenness. And I was just (laughs) so stubborn, I think, in the beginning that it probably took a lot longer than it needed to. (laughs) Anyways, I spent years just on this terrible path of emptiness, battled depression, anxiety, numbness. I was basically just going through the motions of life. Uh, There was an incident that happened at the end of 2020 where everybody was posting all these abuse stories online and that was it for me. I knew that I needed to get help. So I started going to biblical counseling. I know that God had forgiven me. I had slowly begun the painful process of forgiving those who had done that to me. But what I was missing was the fact that I hadn't forgiven myself and that I couldn't understand God's forgiveness and love for me until I was able to forgive myself for my sins and those circumstances. I think at that point I went to biblical counseling and the counselor just said, you know, the Bible specifically states that each person is responsible for their own sin. And just because you had been drinking that night and you were in sin It does not justify that person's sin against you. (laughs) And this weight just like lifted off of me. And I knew that all those years of God just working this story of forgiveness uh, in me, that that was what he wanted me to live out practically. That he wanted me to realize that it wasn't my fault, that he loves me enough. He didn't want that to happen to me but also that he loves me enough he wants to heal me and he will now use that situation as good and to help heal others. Along that process, I met Steve when I didn't love myself or feel worthy. God sent me this warrior. He's been there on Sunday mornings when I've just bawled my eyes out because of all this pain. I think it was the beginning of 2021 when I finally told him what I had been through. I'm truly thankful that God put him in my life when I needed him. So if you're looking for some crazy evidence, scientific evidence that God exists, I can't give that to you. But what I can give you is the fact that I was literally dead for so many years. And through just this progression of growth and change and just God's love in my life, I'm slowly finding freedom. And it's the freedom that he wants me to have. Not the freedom the world, you know, just portrays. It's true freedom. God knows. God loves you. He wants to heal you. And most of all, he wants to use you to heal others.
0: Man, yes. Come on, we put our hands together and celebrate that? Man, that's amazing. Look at what Jesus can do, man. It's so, so wonderful. And what I love about Easter is that we celebrate that Jesus didn't come to make bad things good. He came to bring the dead to life. And so it doesn't matter how we find ourselves to Jesus. He can handle anything that we go through. And if you find yourself dead in a thousand private battles, you can experience life. If you find yourself dead in a thousand broken experiences, you can find life. And then here's one more before we pray, and that is that if we can just come to Jesus, John can teach us that even if dead from a thousand pauses, a thousand hesitations, a thousand false starts, a thousand pauses, we can experience life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Look at your neighbor and say, It don't matter. Come on, your best Alabama accent. Look at somebody else. It don't matter. There you go. You finally got it. Yes, yes. It don't matter. It don't matter if it's private battles. It don't matter if it's broken experiences. It don't matter if it's even this thing called a pause in your life. Jesus is able to handle anything we face if we're willing to bring it to him. This is what happened in the life of John. The Bible said early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which, by the way, I love the fact that he, he refers to himself. If the Holy Spirit inspires you to write a gospel, you're allowed to just flex a little bit and say, by the way, Jesus loved me most. I think that is great, all right? You say, but that's me and Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love this. Listen to this. He stopped and looked in and saw. He noticed the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Like, why? Like He's right there. He's two steps away from experiencing life. He's right there at the door of the tomb. He can see from some of the light that's in there. He's not gonna be able to see too much because there's just the one light that's going through there, but he can see a little bit and he sees the linen wrappings. He sees that something has happened, but he hesitates. He pauses two steps away from his life being completely different and he waits. Why? Why did he wait? I don't know. I have no idea why he would have waited. Thank goodness, though, that Simon Peter arrived and pushed him out of the way. It's like, hey, dude, if you don't want to, just hold up a minute. I'm going to go ahead. And he goes in there. And then the disciple who reached the tomb first also went in. And then he didn't just see with his eyes, but he understood finally. He understood and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood that the scriptures had said that Jesus must rise from the dead. And what was amazing is I don't know what it was that caused him to stop at the entrance of the tomb. What was it that stopped him from just that moment of everything changing? But whatever it was, once he was willing to push past that and step in, his life was never, ever the same. And here's the promise that I have for you from God's word. And that is that if you're willing to push past Feeling dead from a thousand private battles, you can experience life. If you're willing to push past a thousand broken experiences, you can experience life. And if you have the courage, if you have the ability, if your desire is there that you can push past whatever causes you to wait, whatever causes you to pause, if you can just push past that, you can go from knowing about the love of God to experiencing the love of God for yourself. And the reason why I know that is true is because that's my story. My story is John's story. Now, I would, to tell you a little bit about myself, that is that I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. From the moment I could I have my first memory, I was always in church. Even if we got sick, we went to church. Because my dad would say, hey, who knows? The Lord might heal you. Come on, let's go to church. <laughs> and so he would quarantine us and put us in the back corner with, with a trash can in case we got sick, but we was going to go to church. I mean, that's just the way it was. And because I was the pastor's son, I'd memorized a bunch of scriptures and all this stuff so I could make sure I won all the Bible bowls. I mean, he's old enough. Remember some Bible bowl competitions, few of you? Yeah. I, I always won those because I was, the, I was the pastor's son, so I was supposed to, right? And we did all of that. And, and then what would happen is once or twice a year, there'd be an evangelist that would come in. And he would say, hey, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Well, no, wasn't on my to-do list. Well, then you need to repeat this prayer after me. And so I'd repeat that prayer because I didn't want to go to hell. And so after a while, I got to where I memorized that prayer. I could tell you all about how to get saved, but I never had an encounter with God myself. I could tell you all the scriptures. My dad had told me the gospel so many times. I could tell it better than he could, but I'd never had an encounter with God. It was in my head, but it never got to my heart. And one day, my dad took our family, I had two sisters, stepmom and my dad, he took us to a church service down in Pensacola, Florida. We were down there and it was, we were sitting in the back of the balcony and we were there and there was a guy up there on stage and he said something to me, man, I'll never forget it. He said, man, guys, I got bad news and I got good news. Of course, I'm sitting there going, let's hear it. He said, bad news is everybody in this room is a sinner. I was like, well, I don't know if I like this guy that much. <laughs> that's, that's rude. You know, he's like, hey, that's the bad news. Guess what? Everybody else is too. <laughs> The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And here's even worse news. The wages of sin is death. I was like, no, I don't like this guy now. That's the bad news. Give me the good news. And he said, but the gift of God is eternal life. And God demonstrated his great love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here's the thing. I already knew that. I'd already memorized those scriptures. But then he said something that I'll never forget. He quoted a verse and he said, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That wasn't what did it. I'd heard that one too. I'd memorized that. I'd won a couple of Bible trivia contests with that one. I got it. But then he said something I'll never forget. And he said, here's the thing you don't realize. He didn't just die for the world. He died for you. And he said, what I want you to do is I want you to take out the phrase the world and I want you to put your name in that place. And so on your message notes, I've got that for you. I've got that verse. And if you don't write anything else down, I want you to write down your name right there. Because when he said that to me and I did that mental work of erasing out the word world and I put my name, everything changed. Because for the first time, I read that scripture personally. And he said, for God so loved Brandon. For God, this is how much God loved Tommy. This is how much God loved Angie. This is how much God loved each and every one of us, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who would put their trust in him will not perish but have eternal life and all of a sudden boom the light switch came on as if the whole place had been dark and now the light was on and for the first time in my life I didn't think of the gospel as something for the whole world but I realized it was for me I realized that Jesus loved me so much that he split time in half he entered into our time and space he was born of a virgin he lived for 33 years he died on a cross he rose again and he did it all for me And then he kept on going. And now this is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. It says, God did not go through all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help and to put the world right again. And what I started to realize is that Jesus does point a finger. He points to every broken place. He points to every private battle. He points to every pause in my life. But it's not with accusation. It's with hope. He's saying, I can handle that, and I can handle that, and I can handle that situation. I can handle everything. If you will just come to me, I got this. It don't matter. I didn't come to tell you how bad you were. I think you got that figured out already. I came to help you and to put the world right again. And for the first time in my life, sitting in that seat at the back of that balcony, I realized that if we are dead from a thousand private battles, a thousand broken experiences, and a thousand pauses, no matter what we carry, if we will come to Jesus, we can experience life. That it don't matter. Look at your neighbor one more time and say, it don't matter. It don't matter. Yeah, but you don't understand, Pastor. You're right, I don't. it don't matter. Pastor, you don't know where I've been. You're right, I don't. It don't matter. If you had any idea, that, that's disrespectful to me. If you only knew, you're right. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm saying it doesn't matter as in Jesus can handle it. But you got to come to Him. And that was when... That guy on that stage hurt my feelings. I was good until then. Man, I felt the light of God in my heart. It finally started to make sense to me. It's like John, who at one point, he sees the resurrection and he's like, that's nice. But then all of a sudden he steps in and it changes everything. This guy on that stage, he said, here's the thing. He said, let me tell you how much Jesus loves you. You know how they used to do crucifixions back in the day? They would start you on one side of the city and they would walk you down through the middle of town so everybody could see you, everybody could laugh at you, they could throw it, whatever, they could hit you, do whatever, you're a public spectacle for their enjoyment. And also to make sure that everybody else knows this is what will happen to you. Couldn't hide anywhere, you walk right through Main Street. And then you know what they do? They don't go and they don't crucify you on a back hill somewhere where nobody will notice. They take you, it was called the Place of the Skull, Golgotha. It was right there, right outside the town where everybody could see. So everybody coming into Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover, everybody, everybody could see you. And he said, you know what Jesus did? He walked right through Main Street. He marched right up to that hill, naked, crucified, but unashamed because he did it for me. And he did it for you. He is not ashamed of you. And then he said this, don't be ashamed of him. Don't be ashamed of him. Jesus didn't whisper his love to you. He shouted it. He didn't just shout it by coming to this earth. He shouted it by every single day he was here. And then he died on a cross for you. Don't disrespect him by hiding your allegiance to him. And that was my problem. Because that's what I've been doing my entire life. And for the first time, the gospel had become real to me. And he said, Yes, it's okay. If you want to pray a prayer after somebody, yes, that's okay. But we're going to do something different today. If you want to receive Christ, I want you to be bold. I want you to be bold the way Jesus was bold for you. And I want you to come up here and I want you to receive Jesus. And I had absolutely no plans on doing that. Because there were 2,000 people in that room. I didn't know any of them. But all of a sudden, I felt everyone was judging me. Now, the ones I did know right here, my family, that was the ones that I cared about I didn't care as much about my sisters because they were my sisters I mean they were already my enemy (laughs) but I cared about my dad because my dad had shared the gospel with me a thousand times it was my dad who thought he had led me to Christ so many years ago and everybody in my row thought I was the best Christian there I was the guy that won all the Bible Bowls but now here's the moment and I realize I don't know Jesus like that I want to And all of a sudden, the greatest tug of war in my life lasted for about five to 10 minutes where there was something that was pulling. I now know it's the Holy Spirit pulling me saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed to be called your savior. I'm not ashamed of whatever you've done and everything you've been through. I love you. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Bring it all to me. And I wanted to, I wanted to pursue that love that had grabbed my heart. But there was, another, there was another rope pulling me back going, what's your dad gonna say about you? What's your sister's gonna say about you? What are these 2,000 people that don't know you? And I didn't care until that moment. And I had to make a decision. What am I gonna do? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, Before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. But if you're unashamed of me, I will never be ashamed of you. And in that moment, I had to make a choice. And I cannot tell you other than the grace of God how I did this. But at one point, I was like, you know, I don't care. They can think about me what they want to think about me. And I stood up. And can I tell you, when I stood up, it was like I jumped into the river of living water that I'd heard about all my life. Instantly, my life was different. I knew in that moment what it was to experience the love of God. And so I started walking toward that altar and by the time I got 10 steps in, I was running as fast as I could to get down there. I wasn't running away from anything. I was running to my Savior because I knew what love felt like for the first time in my life. And by the time I got up to the front, I was already brand new. I didn't need anybody to repeat a prayer. I I knew in that moment My life was never gonna be the same. And I actually journaled about it that night as I went to bed. I was like, now I know what love feels like. I wonder if it's gonna feel like this in the morning. And the next journal entry was, yep, he's still here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that was October 26, 1996. That's how old I am. Pray for me. And you know what? I've had a thousand private battles, I've had a thousand broken experiences, and I have paused so many times, but I've never been through a single one of them alone. Jesus has been with me the whole way. And my salvation story is I know what it feels like to feel dead on the inside. But on October 26, 1996, I now know what it feels like to feel alive. And I've never felt dead again. Because even in the darkest moment of my life, Jesus is there. And so what I want to do is I want to offer you the same gift that that man offered me. And if you want to look inside your, your Connect card or your... your there's an annual survey card on the back of that. There's what we call a spiritual survey. And we've done this every year since we began our church. And we're going to do it again this year, but we're going to do it just a little bit different this year. And, and what we normally do is we normally say, everybody in this room is one of these four. Either you're saying that today I'm celebrating my relationship with Jesus. Today I'm committing my life to Jesus. Today I would like to ask some questions before committing my life to Christ. Or D, I never intend to follow Jesus. And every year, we ask you to mark one of those, and then bow your heads, and then we pray together. But I want to do something very different this year, in that I still want you to mark which one of these you are, but I want to offer you the gift that that man of God offered me all those years ago. And that is, number one, is maybe, maybe you're A. Maybe, maybe that's, that's where you are today, is that today I'm celebrating my relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's you, in just a moment, the band is going to lead us in a song of worship, and it's your chance. We've already got to see everybody. Everybody looks good. I'm so glad that you're here. But the last song is for Jesus. And we're gonna, we're gonna stand in just a moment. We're gonna lift our hands to him and we're gonna yell as loud as we can because this is my salvation song, is that I serve a living God. Maybe you're in here and you're deep. I never intend to follow Jesus. If that's you, I want you to have the courage to mark that. And I wanna make you a promise. We're not gonna contact you. We're not gonna harass you. We are gonna pray for you. And I need to warn you. We've had many years where somebody would mark B and they would say, last year I was a D. Because Jesus will never stop. He'll never quit pursuing you. He's so in love with you that he'll go to the ends of the earth and back to reach you if you'll just come to him. Maybe you're in here in your C Today, I would like to ask questions before committing my life to Christ. I love that. I love that salvation is not an impulse buy. (laughs) It's a commitment of your heart. And so if that's you, in just a moment, when we sing that song of worship, I'd love for you to slip out of your seat and go back to our, our prayer kiosk back there, and they would love to answer any questions that you have so you can be confident in giving your life to Jesus. But maybe you're B. Today, I'm committing my life to Christ. And if so, I want to give you the gift that I received, and that is a chance to go all in for Jesus. I wanna tell you what that man told me. He said, Jesus marched all the way through the main street of Jerusalem. They took him outside the city and put him on a hill for everybody to see. He was naked, but he was unashamed because of his great love for you. He loves you that much. How much do you love Jesus? How much are you willing to do to go all in for him? Are you willing to risk embarrassment? Are you willing to say, I'm gonna go all in? Are you willing to say, I'm ready to say goodbye to yesterday and hello today? You've never been more loved than you are right now. You've never been more cared for, more loved, more honored, more seen than you are right now, that Jesus loves you and his love is perfect. And if that's you, I wanna encourage you to go all in for Jesus. And this is what I want you to do, that when we start our song of worship, when you feel ready to do so, I want you to quietly slip out of your seat and I want you to come to Jesus. You're not coming to me, You're not coming to this band. You're making a visible representation of coming to Jesus. And on the back of your message notes, it's a prayer to get you started. And it says this, Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me completely. Thank you for paying for my sins on the cross. I confess I need you. I am a sinner, but want your salvation. I confess. And you tell him everything that's going on in your life. Everything you confess is everything he's willing to take everything he's willing to wash away. So take your time and tell him, please forgive me and wash away all my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. I confess you as my Lord, my Savior, my best friend. I receive your new life and give you mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I tell you, one of the hardest things I ever did was to risk embarrassment, to risk what other people would think about me, but in the light of what Jesus did in my life, it was the easiest decision because I now know what love feels like. And by the way, when I got back up, when I, when I, when I got up from that altar area and, and I was getting ready to go back up, it was, a, it was a large church and that took me a long time to get back up there to where they were. I didn't know what they were gonna think about me, but can I tell you what they were doing? They weren't mad. They weren't embarrassed. They were smiling. My dad was crying. And he said, son, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you making this this commitment to God. He said, now you're my brother in Christ. You know, the people that you're so afraid of are the people who are cheering you on the most. What's it worth? Is Jesus worth your allegiance? Then let's go all in. Today is the day of boldness. And if you will step out, you can experience the love of God for yourself. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you God that you see us and that you know us and you're not ashamed of any